Hello, this is Sandra Hindman, founder and president of Les Enlumineurs. We specialize in manuscripts, miniatures, historic jewelry, and other small-scale works of art from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Welcome, and please enjoy today's podcast. Hello, Lesnumineur listeners. With the return to standard time from hot summer daylight savings here in New York, and especially with these continuing debates over abolishing daylight savings, I've found myself thinking about time quite often over the last week. One of the main types of manuscripts that we have here at Les Numineurs is the Book of Hours, and Books of Hours are all about time. The way that we today understand and perceive time as a measurable and objective quantity is very different from the medieval understanding of time. Time, as a measurement, has always been a socially constructed concept. We understand time now today in seconds, minutes, and hours based on an invented system that was used and understood quite differently in the Middle Ages, although there are many overlapping similarities between medieval and contemporary understandings of time. Time was a cyclical experience for medieval people, experienced and measured in different ways than we experience time today. Gothic art was deeply impacted by this medieval experience of time and by extension by the understanding of sacred history that was characterized by a cyclical, ritualistic understanding of time as an eternal return to a perfect Edenic past. Ritual was another important aspect that structured time and the use of medieval people's days. Labor and even religious ritual shifted with the seasons. However, we, or at least I, tend to imagine time as a linear line with a fixed beginning and ending. So when did our understanding of time shift and why? Time was understood through a few different mediums in the medieval period. First of all, there was day and night, which are cyclical events that structured a medieval person's experience of day-to-day life, especially considering there was no artificial lighting. Ritual also, as I've just noted, aided in this as prayers were said at certain parts of the day. For those who could not entirely structure their days through prayer, again, labor played a key role in informing the ritualistic counting of time. Labor also changed throughout the year depending on the seasons. I'll come back to this as we discuss the calendar and zodiac signs shortly. So, for example, the hour indicated by the Book of Hours was not the measured hour that we understand today. An hour is a unit of time conventionally understood as 1 24th of a day. This unit is scientifically reckoned as about 3,600 seconds, and there are 60 minutes in an hour and 24 hours in the day as we understand it in the present now. The hour was initially established, though, in the ancient Near East as a variable measure of 1 12th of the night or daytime. Thus, the hours in the past were dependent on variables of the Earth, and thus were known as seasonal, temporal, or unequal hours, as their duration was affected by season and latitude. 
In our system of measuring hours, hours are known as equal or equinoctial hours. They were taken as one twenty-fourth of the day and measured from noon to noon. The minor season variations of the unequal hour were eventually smoothed by making it into a one twenty-fourth of the mean solar day. So since this unit was not constant due to long-term variations in the Earth's rotation, the hour was finally separated out away from the Earth's rotation and defined in terms of the atomic or physical second. Many different ways of counting the hours have been used throughout history. Because sunrise, sunset, and to a lesser extent, noon, are the most conspicuous points of the day, starting to count at these times was, for most people at least in early societies, much easier than starting the day at midnight. In ancient and medieval cultures, the counting of hours generally started with sunrise. Before the widespread use of artificial light, societies were more concerned with the division between night and day, and daily routines often began whenever light became sufficient. The idea or the concept、uh, that you may have heard before of Babylonian hours divide the day and night into twenty-four equal hours, reckoned from the time of sunrise. They are so named for this false belief of ancient authors that the Babylonians divided the day into twenty-four parts, beginning at sunrise. But in fact, they divided the day into twelve parts called kapsu or double hours. Generally, in the past, time was not counted out equally in an empirical—and by that I mean precisely measurable—sense. In ancient and medieval cultures. Counting hours generally again started with the sunrise. Sunrise marked the beginning of the first hour. The middle of the day was at the end of the sixth hour, and sunset at the end of the twelfth hour. This meant the duration of hours varied with the season. In the northern hemisphere, particularly in the more northerly latitudes, summer daytime hours were longer than winter daytime hours, each being one twelfth of the time between sunrise and sunset. These variable length hours were variously known as temporal, unequal, or seasonal hours, as I've just mentioned, and were in use until the appearance of the mechanical clock, which furthered the adaptation of equal length hours. This is also the system used in Jewish law and frequently called Talmudic hour in a variety of texts. The Talmudic hour is one twelfth of time elapsed from sunrise to sunset, and day hours therefore being longer than the night hours in the summer and in the winter that reverses. In so-called Italian time, Italian hours, or also Old Czech time, the first hour started with the sunset Angelus bell. The hours were numbered from one to twenty-four. So, for example, in Lugano, the sun rose in December during the fourteenth hour, and noon was during the nineteenth hour. In June, the sun rose during the seventh hour, and noon was in the fifteenth hour. Sunset was always at the end of the twenty-fourth hour in Italian time. The clocks in church towers struck only from one to twelve, and thus only during night and early morning hours. This manner of counting hours had the advantage that everyone could easily know how much time they had to finish their day's work without artificial light.
It was already widely used in Italy by the 14th century and lasted until the mid-18th century. This timekeeping was officially abolished in 1755, and although some regions continued the custom through the mid-19th century. The system of Italian hours can be seen on a number of clocks in Europe, where the dial is numbered from 1 to 24 in either Roman or Arabic numerals. The St. Mark's clock in Venice and the Horloge in Prague are the most famous examples. It was also used in Poland and Bohemia until the 17th century, hence the name Old Czech Time. In another example of the social flexibility of time counting and hours, the Islamic day begins at sunset. The first prayer of the day, the Maghrib, is performed between just after sunset and the end of twilight. Until 1968, Saudi Arabia actually used this system of counting 24 equal hours with the first hour starting at sunset. Medieval astronomers such as Al-Briuni or Sacrobosco divided the hour into 60 minutes, each with 60 seconds. However, Roman hours continued to be marked on sundials in medieval Europe. Even more important than Roman hours, however, were the units of time known as the canonical hours of the Orthodox and Catholic Church. During daylight, these followed the pattern set by the three-hour bells of the Roman markets, which were succeeded by the bells of local churches. They rang prima at about 6 a.m., terse at about 9, sext at noon, nones around 3 p.m., and vespers at either 6 p.m. or sunset. Matins and louds precede these irregularly in the morning hours, then Compline follows them also irregularly before sleep, and the midnight office follows that, concluding the day. Vatican II ordered the reformation of these hours in the Catholic Church in 1963, but they actually continued to be observed in Orthodox churches. In the Roman Rite, canonical hours are also called offices, since they refer to the official set of prayers of the church, which is known variously as officium divinum, the divine service or divine duty, and as the opus dei, the work of God. However, medieval people also understood time through sacred holy days. Rather than refer to days by their numerical sequence, medieval people understood each day as a day that commemorated an event in the life of Christ or a saint. This religious significance, not numerical designation, gave each day its true meaning. The calendar is the first section of a book of hours. It lists the 365 feast days of the year, each divided into 12 months. In some books of hours, lesser feast days were written in black ink and the more important ones in red, hence the expression that we have red letter days. In later and more lavish manuscripts, blue and gold often replace the black and red for these major feast days. Some calendars also contain designations in the form of a large letter D, which stood for dies Egypticae or dies Mali, from which the English adjective dismal derives. This letter D 
designated bad luck days, of which there were always two per month. Finally, and most interestingly for us, the calendar of a book of hours often contained painted illuminated images. When illuminated, the calendar contained representations of the signs of the zodiac and the labors of the months. Both of these visual traditions are quite old. The zodiac can be traced to ancient Mesopotamia, and the labors of the month can be traced to classical antiquity. The calendar miniatures from the Duc de Berry's manuscript, that is, the Très Riches, are the most famous of all calendar paintings and are among the best-known paintings from all of the Middle Ages. But these full-page illuminations were extremely rare, making this manuscript something of an outlier, a mutant, among books of ours. Calendars in the majority of books of hours are not illustrated at all, and those that are usually only have a small or half-page miniatures, historiated borders, or vignettes in the margins. Like the many portal entrances to Gothic cathedrals carved with the zodiac and labors of the months, like Chartres Cathedral, the calendar was concerned with the immediate, the here and the now. It was a reference index, and medieval people would generally have found it inappropriate and even obtrusive to have full-page miniatures in this section of their Book of Hours. It is only in the 16th century that calendars begin to appear in Books of Hours with large-scale painting cycles like we see in the Duc de Berry's manuscript. Aside from holidays and feasts, additional information could be gleaned from looking at these calendars. For example, astrological signs of the zodiac were thought to both influence the makeup of a person's personality and to control specific areas of the human body. For example, Aries governed the head and face, and Cancer governed the breast and the stomach. The zodiac was thus consulted medicinally and especially for the procedure of bloodletting or bleeding, since each sign exerted either a good, bad, or indifferent influence on this surgical practice. One of our books of ours has a perfect example of the illuminated calendar. This is BOH 213, the hours of Le Goût de la Bichère, made in Paris in around 1420. The text in this manuscript is in Latin and French, and it features 11 full-page miniatures and 24 calendar vignettes and also many, many roundels throughout by the master of the Munich Golden Legend. This manuscript is in near-perfect condition. It was produced in Paris at the time of the Bedford master by his chief disciple, his student, the master of the Munich Golden Legend. The Bedford Master is thus named for his work for the English court, and his workshop is known for its distinctive narrative roundels that form vignettes in the margins. Our manuscript's rich palette, sensitive attention to decorative detail, lavish use of gold, which includes some gold tooling, and its creative style and iconography are typical of the earliest Parisian work by the master of the Munich Golden Legend, suggesting this is one of his earlier manuscripts. Medieval calendar pages might look kind of complicated to the modern eye. 
technically, they're laid out in four columns. In the far right appear the special feasts for each day of the month. These are mostly commemorations of the day the saints were martyred, which are sort of like their birthdays into heaven. And other feasts commemorate important events in the lives of Christ and the Virgin. It is common for calendars in French books of ours to be written in easy-to-read French, as occurs in our manuscript here. There are 24 miniatures in the lower borders of the calendar, depicting the labors of the months and the signs of the zodiac in cusped quatrefoil frames. The imagery that we find here is as follows. We begin on Folio 1 with January, with a man warming himself by a fire and a depiction of Aquarius. Then, in February, there's a man chopping trees with Pisces. March, there's a man pruning these trees, and it depicts Aries. In April, there's a man carrying a branch and Taurus. Then, in May, we have a man on horseback with a falcon, the falconer, and Gemini. In June, we have a man cutting grass with a scythe, and we have a depiction of cancer. July, there's a man reaping with a sickle, and there is also a nice depiction of Leo. In August, there's a man threshing, and we have, of course, Virgo. In September, then, we have a man treading grapes to make wine, and we have a depiction of the scales of Libra. In October, there's a man sowing seeds with Scorpio drinking out of a river. Then in November, there's a man threshing acorns and Sagittarius. And finally, in December, we have a man killing a pig and Capricorn. The page for November begins on folio 11 recto. This is an excellent example of a calendar page. It begins with the typical illuminated initials, KL, that stand for the Latin word calends or calendarium. The Romans called the first day of every month the calends, signifying the start of a new lunar phase. Our English word calendar is derived from this Latin word. Many calendars, especially those from the 13th to the mid-15th century, include the ancient Roman calendrical system. Each month had three fixed points. Calends, which is always on the first day of the month and from which we derive our term calendar. The Ides, which are at the middle of the month, either in the 13th or 15th. And Nones, the ninth day before the Ides, counting inclusively. All the days in between were counted backwards from these three fixed points. We can see the notation for these days in the calendar of the page, abbreviated with a capital N, capitals I and D, and capitals K and L. This is a lavish manuscript, and thus all special red-letter days are written in gold, with other lesser or black-letter days written in alternating blue and red. Letters running from A through G and Roman numbers appear to the left of the list of saints' days. The dominical letters help finding Sundays and all other days of the week throughout the year. The golden numbers indicate the appearances of new moons and full moons throughout the year. 
This esoteric information was extremely important to the medieval Christian, since it helped determine the date of Easter, the church's most important feast at any given year. This fabulous November calendar sparkles with gold all over. The margins are filled with gold vine leaves and dots, and the letters and frames are outlined in gold. November was spent in the forest by most medieval people. Peasants would thrash and hit oak trees or throw sticks into their branches to harvest acorns as food for their pigs. The two cussed quatrefoils in our manuscript's margins contain an image of a man knocking acorns from trees to feed pigs, and the other depiction is of Sagittarius. Some illustrations for the labor of this month show the slaughtering of a fattened pig, but generally we see depictions of acorn thrashing, as we see here. In this vignette, the man is accompanied by a rather happy-looking pig with his nose to the acorns on the ground. On the following folio, the pig is then slaughtered for the December labor. Pigs were excellent co-workers for medieval farmers because they could subsist off of almost anything, and they were extremely smart. Medieval people generally would not eat acorns, but these became free sources of food for pigs, essentially converting useless acorns into desirable winter bacon. Pork was available and eaten across all classes and in most areas of Europe, with the exception of the very arid geographies like the Iberian Peninsula. Thus, the pig became a universal labor, associated with the dawning of the winter days across a wide swath of geography and culture. To the right of this labor, the cusped quatrefoil contains a pale half-man who is also half-bright red horse, who leaps across the grassy green and blue space with a drawn bow and arrow pointing toward the edge of the page. This is Sagittarius, the centaur archer. Greek mythology associates Sagittarius with the centaur Chiron, who mentored Achilles in archery. Sagittarius was thought to be a learned healer. This zodiac sign was sometimes simply known as the archer and could be represented by only the symbol of a bow and arrow. Although in the medieval period, the zodiac was almost always represented in manuscript illumination as the centaur. So that's a quick synopsis of time in the Book of Hours. Our podcast continues to grow, but it would be really helpful to us if you could subscribe and rate the podcast in your podcasting app. We would love to hear your thoughts about this episode's topic. Do you know something about the history of timekeeping, calendars and calends, or the labors of the year? Let us know. You can find out more about the manuscript I just discussed, BOH 213, on our website, and you can also reach out with your comments and questions through our social media at Listening Year. Thanks for listening.